Well, if you turn with me in your Bible over to Philippians, in chapter 2 is where we are. We have covered chapter 1 as we continue in this series, The Mindset That Cannot Fail. This is part 3. And uh, Philippians, of course, is a very positive book, but nevertheless, the truths that are in it are very challenging, dealing with the believer's attitude and, of course, actions. But attitude, of course, is going to lead to action, either right or wrong. And so in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies or affection and compassion, mercy oftentimes used as compassion, the same Greek word. Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now again, he's, he's writing from jail to these believers, and these are people that make up the church, the local church at Philippi. So this is something that is good. It, it was good not only for them, but it's good for us as uh, believers today and applicable to us, not only to our local church primarily, but also to those outside the church and attitudes and actions that we need to have. You notice he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now, no church can fulfill God's plan for them if it's not unified. If people are going all over the place, you just can't do it, okay, if they're not thinking the same way. But not just unity for unity's sake, it is a, a unity that Christ says ought to be our focal point. In other words, we ought to be unified on that which God would have us to be unified on. What is the purpose of the local church? Well, that has never changed. The purpose of the local church is evangelism, winning the lost, and then discipleship, training the saved. And this is the plan of God. And it's just basically, it's, it's not in the sense of something redundant in the sense of boring or negative, but it's a wonderful kind of redundancy, okay? To where we reach a lost person and then we get them into where we can now disciple them and train them and teach them the word of God to where they can grow and they can reach others. And then those people come in and then we train them and disciple them to where they can grow and then reach others. It is just this cycle that uh, we call the Great Commission. And we need to be unified on that. Now, of course, that begins with the gospel, how to be saved. You need to have the right message. There's only one gospel, and it's that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And all you can do is believe or trust in Jesus Christ that he made that payment for you, and he will give you everlasting life, and he'll never lose you, never cast you out. Now, that's the gospel. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And we need to be unified on that. We need to have an understanding on that. That focal point, though, is Christ and the gospel. And as we saw last time, it's not either or. It's those together because there is no good news if it's not Jesus who went to the cross. We needed to have a sinless substitute, and only God is that, and Jesus is God. And then it's that good news that when we put our faith in Christ, that he died for us and rose from the grave, that he gives us eternal life. Now, there are many good things and causes we can give our lives to as believers, but there is a most important issue that drives all else, and that is Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
Of course, he makes up the gospel, as I mentioned. You're in chapter 2. Just go back a few verses into uh, chapter 1, and you see to verse 27, it says, only let your conversation or your manner of life be as it becometh, is worthy of, the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is what the local church is supposed to be about. One spirit, one mind, that's unity, doing what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. It isn't, well, we've got all these purposes out there. No, there's one purpose. There's one thing that determines the other things. Do you see what I'm saying? There's one thing that determines the other things. And you don't just do start new ministries and start new programs in a local church just to do them because you've never done it before and it sounds appealing. No, you weigh everything by the gospel. You weigh everything by the Great Commission. Otherwise, you're going to end up just wasting your time and doing maybe good things, but those good things are not resulting in people coming to trust Jesus Christ the Savior. And that's easy to do. That's easy to do because churches get asked to do a lot of things, all right? Jesus made it clear in Mark 8, 35. He says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. That's Mark 8, 35. And so Jesus made it very clear. Our purpose, what we ought to be losing our life for, giving our life away for, is him and this great message that we have. Now, that being so, let's go to verse 3, Philippians 2, verse 3. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, in other words, for personal glory, personal gain, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, it is amazing when you think about it that the children of God would undermine the very work that brought them together. But that is really what goes on. When Christians are not thinking right, they're actually damaging the very plan that brought them together to begin with. You see, folks, when we are unified around the gospel and we are trying to reach others together collectively, individually and collectively, and reaching them and being unified and trying to reach people for Christ, that has a way of keeping out a lot of the unnecessary things. But the problem is human beings are sinners. And what happens is we start thinking in terms of, well, I want this. I want to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay, well, that doesn't sound appealing to me. Or I've got other things to do. Hey, it's getting, you know, it's getting to be springtime. And therefore, uh, I don't want to be committed to church. I want to do this thing or that thing and all what do you have? You've got people, not only are they not unified any longer, which is going to hurt the outreach of the gospel, but the driver is self. The driver is self. And this is a great enemy, okay? Now, the mindset that cannot fail as we continue on, we're going to see another aspect of the proper mindset for us. And can I say that really the rest of this message has to do with a quality that God wants us all to have. It is not one that we will ever completely achieve in this life. As a matter of fact, we will go in and out of this quality. 
And that quality is called humility. And that's what we see in our text here tonight. We see the great enemy of accomplishing our goal as believers and as a church, and it is self. You might say, well, what about the devil? He's the great tempter, okay? He advertises things. But it's when we make the wrong decisions, when we make decisions that are just simply self-focused and we don't care what anybody else thinks, that's when we run into problems. When we don't think right, that's when we run into problems. That's why we're talking about this mindset that cannot fail. When we have minds of humility and we're thinking the way we ought to think, that's when we can have greater success as believers. And whenever self is in the middle of it, what is the root of self? It's pride. Pride is the fire of self. Pride is not always obvious. Strutting around thinking you're God's gift to the world. Now, I know some people are that way, and it's obvious that they're being driven by pride. But sometimes pride can be very subtle, very subtle. You know, sometimes we wouldn't admit it, but we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And of course, that would be pride. Pride promotes itself. Verse four, look not every man on his own things. Now, by the way, did you see at the end of verse three? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Consider other people better than yourselves. In other words, you're putting them before yourself. This is what God wants us to to do. Notice the right mindset. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now you may look at that and you say, well, it sounds like a busybody to me. Only if it's negative. But if this is taken in the context here, what this is saying is this, let's look out for each other. That's what it's saying. Let's not be so self-focused to where we forget that there are people who are hurting or people who have needs. Let me give you a prime example of this right now, what's going on. You know, we can focus on how our lives have been disrupted in the last month to six weeks, and we can focus on that. But friend, you know what? Most of us have it relatively good. Matter of fact, most of us have it very good, relatively speaking. Oh, we may be doing without something or another, but... Lord willing, that's all temporary. Nevertheless, there are people who are hurting. You might say, well, wait a minute, I don't know anybody, or I don't know too many people who are out of work and all that. There's more to this than just being out of work. See, out of work, what that does is that brings with it a bunch of stuff. That brings with it a lot of challenges, psychological, emotional, spiritual. Not only that, but maybe a person's not out of work but they're used to being around others and they can't have other people around them right now. Maybe seniors in senior living and some of these other facilities. Think about them when the last time you called them. Have you called them? Have you talked to them? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of discouraged myself. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. We need to have the mindset of, you know what, I'm going to go beyond myself and think in these terms. You know, I'm kind of discouraged, but think this way. Maybe if I connect with somebody, talk to them, and try to encourage them, you know it's a good chance of happening to you and to me? 
will be encouraged because we went outside of ourselves to connect with someone else. Let's look out for each other. Notice that the right mindset here in verse three, let each esteem other better than themselves. Notice that the right mindset is just the opposite of uh, so-called self-esteem today. Now, uh, there's, you know, that's defined different ways, but I'm talking about the person who's constantly self-focused or looking at themselves con- continually. It is, according to verse three, let each esteem others better than themselves. The word esteem means to hold oneself above, to excel, okay? The idea is, okay, I'm gonna put that person, I'm gonna make that person more important to me than me. That's basically what this is getting at. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone in this and help that individual, all right? See, this is something that's gonna be helpful for us, and it's a blessing. And really, this is at the heart of ministry, isn't it? give you an example. I think all of us at times fear, get in a situation where we may fear in sharing the gospel with somebody else. But you know, if we, if we uh, will stop for a minute and think, okay, well, we don't want to go through the possibility of rejection or embarrassment or this or that, but think about that need of the individual. See, we're tied up of thinking how this is going to make me uncomfortable. Think of how uncomfortable they will be if they die without Christ. It's an awful thought. It's an awful thought. God is asking us to esteem others better or above ourselves. That's his point. There is some false thinking that goes on today, you know, when it comes to the issues of esteem. We see here, it should be others' esteem. Some of the false thinking today goes this way. Well, I, I can't help others until I am 100% okay. But you know what, friend? Here's the truth of it. None of us are 100% okay. Do you know that? Let me go further. We're all messed up. All of us. I'm messed up and you're messed up. I say, well, no, not me. I'm, I'm, well, maybe a little bit, but not much. I'm not as messed up as you are. Well, you need to really be listening to this message, okay? The truth of it is, we're messed up. We've got problems. That's why we need an everyday savior. And the Lord is the one who can help us with that. You see, if everybody thinks, well, I can't help anybody until I'm all okay. Guess what? You're never gonna help anybody, Not only that, but if everybody thinks like you do, nobody's going to help anybody. What kind of a world is it going to be? Now, here's the truth of it. I'm a sinner. I mess up. So do you. But God has saved me by his grace. God loves me. He saved me. I'm his child. And he's going to help me. And the Christian life is a life of growth. And so hopefully I've made progress in my life to this point, and I've got more progress to make down the road. But here's the point. I'm just going to let the Lord take care of that. And I'm going to have a mindset of, Lord, I'm going to submit myself to you. By the way, that has to do with humility. And I'm just going to serve you. Lord, I'm going to be a tool in your hand. I'm going to let you use my life for your glory. And I'm going to forget about myself. Remember what, what we saw last week? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To me, to live is Christ, not me, Christ. He should be the focus. 
And when we have the right mindset, we're going to succeed. It's going to be a blessing in our lives. So simply put, the right mindset is this. I consider your needs, I consider others' needs of greater value than I consider my own. The biblical mindset is this. I put you over me. I put you over me. Now that is the attitude God wants us to have. As a matter of fact, we have the ultimate example of that in the following verses. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We need to look past ourselves and we need to look at the needs of others. And here is the ultimate model, verse 5. Verse 5, Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you. Think this way. That's what he's saying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Now, this is how Jesus thought. For us to be Christ-like, this is also how we need to think. This is how we need to think. And it's not some outward show of saying the right things, acting the right way, just to where people think, oh, wow, oh, boy, that person's really spiritual. No, friend, this is an issue of the heart. This is something that's inside that works its way out. The rest is just veneer. Sooner or later, the person who's doing it to make others think highly of themselves, sooner or later, that's just going to crumble. You're going to run out of gas. But when you are motivated by the Lord himself and his love for us, that's the person who will just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep serving I want to give you four insights into these verses that we're looking at tonight. The first one is this. You notice it says, uh, who being in the form of God, referring to Jesus Christ, being in the form of God. Jesus is God. Jesus was God when he was here. Now, there are some different ideas as far as when Jesus came, okay? I know a great hymn of the faith, and I'm I'm not picking on whoever wrote it. It might have been Wesley. I'm not sure. And I love a lot of the song. And maybe he didn't mean it the way he wrote it, but it's And Can It Be is the name of the hymn, great hymn of the faith. But there's one line in there that I'm wondering, what did he mean by it? It says he emptied himself of all but love. Okay? Jesus emptied himself. When he came, he emptied himself of all but love. I don't know if he meant he just spent his life on others or if he meant that basically he left his attributes and the thing that he had was just love. It was love that drove him. No, here's the truth of it, friends. Jesus, I agree with Schofield on this. The Schofield Study Bible says this, and I quote, nothing in this passage teaches that the eternal word, John 1.1, emptied himself of either his divine nature nor his attributes but only of the outward and visible manifestation of the Godhead, unquote. Okay, do you understand that? See, God may change how he appears, but he cannot cease to be God. 
Jesus, yes, when he came into the world, you did not see his glory, but he was still God the Son. He never stopped being God the Son. He was never less than God the Son. Now, did he put certain limits on some of the things he did? Yes, but if you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, where it is, uh, Jesus is seen as the Son of God, you see manifestations of his deity over and over and over and over again. No, he did not hold, he did not change. He came as God, as a man. But he was still God. God in the flesh, but still God. Totally still God. He never was less than God. But yet he was clothed in humanity. At all times, his divine attributes could be exercised according to his will. There are many instances of this in the life of Jesus. I think of many times you saw Jesus reading people's minds. Who can do that except God? God's the only one who's a mind reader. And you see Jesus doing it many times. The scripture says he knew what was in their heart. He knew what they were thinking and so on. We see it when he was in a different location and he talked about somebody he saw when he wasn't even around that person, such as Nathaniel in the Gospel of John. He says, listen, I saw you when you were under the tree. You remember that? John chapter one. And Nathaniel was blown away by that because he knew that, wait a minute, how did he see me under the tree? Well, Jesus is, Jesus is God. That's how his power over creation. Think about it. When he would still the water or the, the sea and so forth, peace be still and it would stop. The elements would obey him. Only God can do that. How about when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes? Who can do that but God? God's the only one who can do that. How about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? Only God can do that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said many, many times he declared his deity while he was here. Yeah, yeah, he didn't glow, so to speak, except on the Mount of Transfiguration, all right, where they got a glimpse of his glory, the brightness and so forth. But friend, he was still totally God. Now I said all that to say this, okay? You notice in the text, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. For him to say, I am equal, you remember when he said, I and the Father are one? He's equal with God. He didn't consider that robbery to say he was equal with God or to claim he was equal with God. Why? He was God. He is God. But look at this. But made himself of no reputation. That's our second point. Christ made himself of no reputation, verses five through seven. One commentator said this, he did not consider his equality with God as something selfishly to be held onto. When Jesus came, he was clothed with humility. He did not come with fanfare, did he? He did not come saying, look at me, look at me. No, that wasn't Jesus. He was humble. If anybody would have had a right to talk about, look at me, I'm the greatest. Do you remember, by the way, Muhammad Ali, the boxer? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, you're pathetic. You're not the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. Jesus did not think of himself. This is the point. 
He thought of others. This is the whole reason he entered the human race, because he thought of others. His outlook or his attitude was that of unselfish concern for others. This was something that was characteristic of his life. And of course, no one who has ever lived was more humble than Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was never proud. Never. It wasn't anywhere in him. Why? Well, because it's a sin. Pride is sin, and there is no sin in Jesus Christ. Third, you notice in verse 8, it says, in being found in fashion of a man, what's the next three words? He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Now, this word humble, it literally means to depress. Now, that doesn't mean be depressed, okay? But it means to press down. In other words, instead of exalting yourself, what you do is you hold yourself down. You don't allow yourself to be the the focus, okay? Those of us who are believers, we want to bring attention to the Lord. But Jesus humbled himself. You see, humility is a key mindset for us as believers. Now, humility is a tricky thing because you might say, well, God wants me to be humble, and Lord, I want to be humble, and Lord, help me see things and live in such a way and think in such a way to where I will be humble and I will practice humility. And then as soon as you think you're humble, of course, guess what? You're not humble. See, here's the truth of it. What we need to do, you might say, well, this could drive me crazy because I want to be humble. Yeah, but once you think you're humble, you're not humble. What's driving me crazy? What's the answer to that? Forget about yourself. Just say, Lord, I need help. Live in dependence upon him. The person who's living in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, while they're doing that, they are being humble because they're not exalting themselves. They're showing that they need him. We are showing that we need the Lord. It's so important. Humility is the key to the mindset that cannot fail. It is to make yourself of no reputation. Let me put it in modern terms. It is the opposite of a selfie because it's not about selfie. It's about Jesus. Yet we live in such a hedonistic mindset today where it's all me. It's all what I want. It's how I feel. The stuff on, I mean, we don't watch it in our house, but we're aware that it's there. Reality TV and and these people, it's all about them and it's all about how they feel and what they're going to do. I I, I won't even name the program, but one comes to my mind having to do with a family of people. And it's like, this is just completely, these people, this kind of a lifestyle is just completely disgusting. Where it's all about how you feel and how you look and how much money you have and all this kind of stuff. Where's Jesus in that? The braggart, the one who constantly uses these words. You want to know who's not humble? The one who's constantly using words like I, me, my, all the time. It's always I, me, my. That's just the opposite of God's way. No, we need to put others first before ourselves. That is humility, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, let me say this, in local church and among believers, families, church members, whatever it is, Humility produces harmony. Did you know that? Humility produces 
harmony. The truly humble person will be in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will walk in fellowship with him. Now, if two believers are walking in fellowship with the Lord, they're going to be in harmony with each other. They're tuning themselves to the same source. Therefore, they'll be in tune with each other. It's just like, you know, we have over uh, to my uh, right, you can't see it, but we have a baby grand piano here. And uh, let's say for an example, we have two people with, with guitars and they can go and they can say, oh, my guitar's out of tune. Okay, tune one guitar to the piano, tune the other guitar to the piano, and guess what? Your two guitars will be in tune with each other. Why? Because you're using a common source to get in tune. In the Christian life, okay, as we live our lives as Christians, as we live by faith in the Lord, trusting in him, walking with him, if we are focused on him, and I have another brother or sister in Christ who's focused on Christ, there's gonna be greater harmony between us than if we're not. But if I'm thinking about, oh, I need to take a selfie. Oh, it's about me, my, I, okay? Uh, Who's the focus of my life? And there's not gonna be the harmony that there should be, okay? The one who is focused on Christ, the one who is humble, he will have the same goals and desires that the Lord does. Now, again, if all of us are tuned to the Lord, we will be tuned to each other. Let me give you an application here, friend. If Jesus, who is the perfect son of God, would humble himself and be a servant to sinners, certainly we who are sinners ought to be servants as well. If this is the way Jesus lived, and I'm supposed to be Christ-like, then this is the way I need to live. I say, well, that's not, here's what happens with some Christians. They would never admit it, but they, they think in their hearts, that's not very desirable for me. Do you know Why? because you're not humble. It's your pride that's driving you. See, this goes deep into our lives, this issue of humility versus pride, because we all have pride because we're all sinners. We all have a sin nature. But humility is just the opposite of that. Let's go back to humility again for just a moment. Hold your place here and look at James chapter four. James chapter four. I want you to see something really important having to do with our lives. James chapter four, in verse six, it says this, but he, the Lord, giveth more grace. Of course, we are to live by grace, God's unmerited favor and kindness. God pours out grace into our lives. And then with that comes the ability to serve him faithfully and to live a life that brings glory to him. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. Okay, he stands against. That's what the word resist means, to stand against, to hold back. Okay, God resists the proud, but look what he does. He gives grace unto the humble. He gives grace unto the humble. No wonder Jesus was humble. Through Jesus, he was full of what, according to John 1? Full of grace and truth. Well, if he was full of grace, that was tied to his humility. And it's who he was, it's attributes. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These are powerful truths and they affect our lives. Listen, when pride is driving me, when it's about me, when I'm thinking about me and and my and what I want and not looking to what can I do to be a blessing to somebody else, I'm probably walking in pride. 
But what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. And grace is what we need to live a fruitful life as believers. Let's go back to verse 8, Philippians 2 and verse 8. It says this, he humbled himself, and look at this, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Is there any greater act of humility than Jesus willingly submitting himself to the Father's will for him, which was to become sin for you and me? We can't even comprehend that. We have the words on paper, but we don't know what that was like. We know the agony Jesus went through in the garden. Lord, if, it, if it's possible, let this, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then, of course, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Humility in action. And then what did he do? He became obedient. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We see that. Number four, he became obedient unto death. Let me ask you, are you in a gridlock with yourself? You don't feel like you're getting anywhere in your Christian life? Humble yourself and just forget about yourself and obey the word of God. See, obedience moves us forward. Obedience moves us forward, which leads us to our last point, and it's this. Humility brings victory. Humility brings victory. We see this in our Lord. By the way, it also brings honor. Humility brings honor. Jesus talked about that a lot, didn't he? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Talks to you, you want to be greatest, be a servant, and so on, and we see that over and over. It's many places found in the book of Proverbs. Before honor, Proverbs says, is what? Humility. Humility. Look at it, Philippians 2.9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Jesus was humble. Jesus was obedient. He lived his life to the very end, being an obedient son. And he purchased our salvation and he was raised from the dead. And not only that, but look what it says. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." The Bible says in Mark 10, 45, Jesus was speaking. He says, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, okay, not to be served, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. What are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be giving our lives to others. And when we have a humble mindset, and again, folks, listen, it's tricky. How, how do I know that? Well, because I'm like anybody else. I've got pride, okay? We all battle it. Yet we know that God wants us to be humble and to walk in humility. See, we still have a sin nature, right? We have the new nature, but we have the sin nature. And the sin nature is driven by pride. It's not humble. The new nature is humble. God wants us to live according to the new man. One more verse. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Possibly you're watching uh, this evening and 
this is all new to you. Now, you know it's true, okay? I believe the Holy Spirit's been talking to all of us tonight on this. But you might say, what is it to be a Christian? How can I become a Christian, all right? Well, friend, it's, it's not complicated. It's a matter of you putting your trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and paid for all your sins and that he rose from the grave. You're trusting in him as the payment, for your sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, and look at verse 21, it says, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look up here. Here we are, this hand representing you and me, and this wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. God loves us, but he hates our sin. He won't let us into heaven with our sin. Our sin has to be paid for. We have sinned against God. We've rebelled. And he says the wages of that is death, which would be separation from him for all eternity. If we die not having our sins taken care of, we'll spend forever separated from God. Good works won't take it away. Going to church, being baptized, live streaming our Bible studies and services won't take away your sin. The only thing that will is Jesus Christ and the payment he made for your sins. See, Jesus died as your substitute. This hand representing him. For he, God, made him, Christ, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died for us, paid for our sin, rose from the grave. And he says in his word, if you will put your faith in him, you trust in him, he will give you everlasting life. It's a gift, you can't earn it. For by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, why don't you do that right now? Okay, in the quietness of your mind, you can think between you and God, Lord, look, I know I'm a sinner, and I understand I can't save myself. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I believe when he died on the cross, all my sin was taken care of. I'm trusting in him to give me that gift of eternal life. And if you'll trust in him, he'll give you that gift of eternal life. By the way, it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, again, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. That's pride. That's pride. If you could earn your way to heaven, you could get to heaven and you could boast that you were better than somebody else. But you know what? We're all sinners and we are guilty and we stand condemned. That's why Jesus came. He came, he went to the cross, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He paid that sin debt and offers us eternal life if we'll trust in him. Trust in him. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.